Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I think most of you know that I have two grandchildren, right? For those of you who don't, the sportsmen's are about to celebrate their one-year anniversary on this gig. We've got two grandbabies, uh, Nora and Abby, uh, and we love them. Uh, but, you know, I think it's been to people's surprise that I have not inundated the church here with a lot of photographs of my grandbabies. At least some people have said as much. However, today I make an exception. I want you to meet, uh, maybe some of you for the first time, my favorite granddaughter this week. When you see this picture, I think you'll know why, because um, her mama is raising our daughter right. She is a Longhorn fan already. <laughs> And it's a little easier to be a Longhorn fan to put that picture up here this week after beating Oklahoma State University yesterday, ranked number six in the country. But it's not been a very good year so far to cheer for the Longhorns, uh, at least not for this one. But let me tell you what I'm also a fan of, of elders and their wives. They're God's designed lead servants, if you don't know what elders are and how they serve in a church. Let me say that again. They are God's designed lead servants. And I've had the privilege of serving alongside some of the best for four decades of my life. The time that they give to prayer for the church, to teaching, to dreaming, planning, hosting, comforting, rescuing, visiting, encouraging, and all of it without asking for anything except for your prayers and support. Never ceases to amaze me. One of the best was James Houston. When he left this earth two months ago to be with Jesus, it was not only a loss for Donna and her family, the Houstons, but it was also a loss for the KCC family. Amen. I miss his encouragement. I miss his wit. I miss his genuine concern for this church family and my family. We miss his wisdom in our leadership team meetings. Nobody could ask a clarifying, wisdom-filled question like James Houston could. Anytime he would say, I've got a question, my stomach would get tense. When COVID hit, we had to dismiss our services, most of you know. And it was within two weeks of saying publicly, thank you to three of our elders and their wives who had served this church and were, I hate to use the word retiring, but stepping down from that role. They're still a part of this church family. But because of COVID, we weren't able to thank them properly. So when we first came back to meeting again as a church, one of the first things we took care of was to say publicly, thank you to those men and their wives. We did it through our words. We did it through applause. We did it through a small gift to commemorate that service. But James was not one of those that was retiring. He was continuing with his 25 years plus as lead servant here in our church, even though an awful disease, syringomyelia, was just all over his body. He continued to serve this church, though, and guide this church and love this church until he's left to meet the head of our church not too long ago. Well, we wanted to take the time this morning to say to Donna and to all of her family connected to you, this church would not be who this church is without your husband and your love. It wouldn't. And so we'd like to, to say thank you in a very public way if you'll let us. Would you make your way up here? And elders, would you be making your way up here too? You guys will stand back here. I'm going to ask Donna to stand next to me. I wish there was a way in words or in a gift to convey the service and sacrifice that you and your husband have meant to this church family. But there just isn't. And so please, receive this plaque that just simply says, simply blessed. Because you have been that to us. You simply blessed our lives and we are forever in debt to you. And there's also a gift card in here to buy lots of Longhorn apparel. Be good. Father in heaven, please, 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 bless Donna. 
She's the one who misses the absence of James more than anyone. We rejoice where he's at this morning. We rejoice in the worship service he's getting to enjoy. But we miss him. And we ask that you continue to heal uh, that empty place in Donna's life uh, where James once had such a big place. Please continue to help her to grow, help her to uh, be uh, the effective minister she's always been to our church. We need her, maybe now as much as ever. And we just thank you for all she has meant to her family, but all she's meant to us. In Christ's name, and everyone said. Amen. Would you show your appreciation to this sweet girl? I kind of got lost in my nose here. Did I mention I'm a Longhorn fan? But I am not a radical one, I can assure you that. I'm not. But it never ceases to amaze me how radical fans can be regardless of the sport. I heard of a fellow who, through his company's fantasy football contest, won a ticket to the Super Bowl. Now, that was the good news. The bad news was, <laughs> when he finally got to the game, his ticket was for the nosebleed section. And I mean literally the last row in the farthest corner of the stadium. He was closer to the blimp than he was to the field, all right? But he was so far away that he had to use his binoculars that he was glad that he brought to the, to the game. And he, he was watching the action on the field. And, and then he noticed somewhere around the 23rd row, about the 50-yard line, there was an empty seat. And he watched it all throughout the first quarter, and it was still empty. And so he sidestepped some guards and made his way down to that chair. And he said to the guy, he said, I, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but uh, is anybody sitting here? And remember, 23rd row, 50-yard line. And the guy says to him, help yourself, no one is. Wow, the guy sits down and he's thinking to himself, this has got to be five, seven, ten grand for these seats here, really? And he says out loud, who on earth would have a ticket to the Super Bowl and not use it? And the guy next to him said, well, actually, it belongs to me. He continues saying, it was for my wife, but she recently passed away. This will be our first Super Bowl together in 27 years that we didn't enjoy it together. The new guy said, I'm so sorry to hear that. But he said, do you mind me asking? He said, I, I'm just surprised you couldn't get a relative or a close friend to come with you. And he said, oh, well, they would have, but they're all at my wife's funeral. <laughs> she may be in heaven, but you know where he's going to be. I have a feeling that some of you in this room today feel like that man due to the fact that your life isn't where it's supposed to be. And by that I mean... Not necessarily you're in a bad place or that you're in an evil place. I just mean that sometimes we have this sense, my life is just not where it's supposed to be. I want to suggest that maybe it's because you have a call waiting. I'm launching a series today that for the next month of the weeks of November, we're going to be looking at some passages of Scripture where God calls people. I want to kick things off this morning by just simply this. All you got to do is raise your hand. Has anybody here called anyone this week on their phone? All right, so I thought most of us would do that. All right, anybody here received a phone call on your phone? Anybody here received a phone call you didn't want to answer? No, don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> how many of you have received, now particularly don't raise your hand on this one, how many of you received a call from God you didn't answer? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at four different stories of men and women who were called by God. And I hope at minimum to plant a seed that God not only calls people in general, but listen to me, friend, he's called you specifically. Now, one of the things that anybody can know about God, if they spend any time at all in his word, is that he is a revealing God. Let me say that again. He's a revealing God. In other words, a significant part of his nature is to make his existence and his will known to us. 
And I, for one, am thrilled because what in the world could we know about God if he didn't reveal it to us? So scripture makes it clear God reveals himself. And he does so through willing men that he's inspired to write down those revelations for us to read. He also does it through creation. He also does it through life circumstances. He also reveals himself through supernatural miracles. He also reveals himself through the Holy Spirit that he promises he'll place in any man or woman or child who welcomes him into their lives. But I want you to know this. The most significant way he revealed himself is in Jesus. The most significant way that you could get to know God, the only way you really can get to know him, is to get to know his son. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this. The son is the radiance of God's glory, and he is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, I don't know how you hear that, friend, but to me I hear this. If I'm looking for a clear picture of what God is like, I need to get to know Jesus. Because he is a revealing God. And when God reveals himself, (laughs) he always expects a response. My parents did. I wish I had a dollar for every time my mom or my dad said, did you hear what I said? To which was usually accomplished by, uh, connected with, well, then move. Do you hear what I said? Well, then move. Because it seemed to appear to my parents at the time I wasn't listening to what they said. Sometimes I hadn't, but most of the time I had, I just didn't want to move, even though I'd been called. When God reveals himself, I can assure you he expects a response. He always assumes a response, and why wouldn't he? He is the parent of all parents. When he speaks, the action often is referred to in Scripture as a calling. That's why the series. The God of the Bible is a God who calls. Now, I want you to understand this even from the get-go. When God calls, usually it means the disruption of the lives of very settled people. When God calls, he typically has a mission in mind that will involve inconvenience and risk. Just know that up front. And as we're going to see this month, that when he calls, those calls tend to preempt any agenda for your life that you have entertained up to that point. So he calls Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your family and leave your country and just start walking. And I'll tell you when to stop. He calls Esther and he says, I have a dangerous assignment for you, one that might cost you your life. He calls Mary and he says, I need for you to bear a son that only the Holy Spirit can create in you. He says to Paul, I need you to stop fighting me and start fighting for me. And to every single one of those who say, yes, Lord, everything changes. And I know at first that may sound like a bad thing, but I want to show you over the next four weeks, it's a good thing because it's a God thing. It's him calling. But here's what we're also going to see as we study. Not everybody who hears the call of God says, sure enough, Lord, just like when you receive a call. (laughs) And the name pops up on the screen. And you'd go, I'd rather not, back in the pocket. We do that with God. And we've been doing it long before any invention of any phone, even before the phone was a dream in Alexander Graham Bell's mind. We sense that he's calling, and we really don't need someone through a holy book to tell us that he's calling. We just don't want to be bothered. I speak from experience. Now, some of us grew up with teachers of Scripture who taught that God doesn't call people anymore. He used to do that, at least during the time when the Bible was being written, but not anymore. I want to show you different. Because it really is God's nature to reveal himself, and that's never going to change. Now, others believe, yeah, he does call people, but he only calls special people. He calls apostles, he calls prophets, he calls 
probably preachers, and he probably calls missionaries. But I'm Peter Plummer. I'm Helen Housewife. I'm Student Stanley. He doesn't call people like me. Oh, yes, he does. And you'll see that. Now, this morning, I want you to see that God has a call literally on all of our lives. That when he calls you, again, he is going to expect us to reorient that life that we call our own to his if we're going to answer the call. And I don't mean just listen, but to move. Let me share with you three calls that everybody in this room needs to answer. The first one is this. It's the salvation call. It's a call to come to him. And everyone, everyone gets that call. Now, for centuries, Christians have been debating on whether or not God calls anybody to salvation. Some say, no, he doesn't. That he actually elects a certain group of people, and then there's some folks he doesn't elect, and those whom he wants to have in his heaven receive the call, and those that he really doesn't, they don't receive that call. I have a hard time reading my Bible and believing that. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that, say the word, whoever believes in him will not perish. Mark 16 says this, Go preach the gospel to all creation, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. 2 Peter 3 says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but what? Everyone comes to repentance. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10, and that's Paul. But the text says this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, if you're hearing me, and I realize it's mid-sermon, so some of you are not hearing me anymore. You may want to nudge them and see if they're breathing. But if you're hearing me, God is calling you into a saving relationship with His Son. If you haven't heard that yet, He's hoping you'll hear it today because He makes this call to everybody. Now, in reaction to that theology, sometimes we've gone a little bit too far the other way and said that salvation hinges not on God's calling, but ours. Well, the emphasis gets placed on what do we do in order to respond to that relationship, and that too is a mistake. In Scripture, you can't help but notice God always, listen to me, always makes the first move. Jesus said it so much in John chapter 6 and verse 44. Nobody comes to the Father unless he does what? Draws them. Well, Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter 2, it's because you're dead in your sin. <laughs> dead people don't do much, have you noticed? And so God's got to do something. He makes the first move, and you can't come to him unless he draws you. Let me put it this way. You're not saved because God answered your call. You're saved because you answered his. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, Peter has just preached the first gospel sermon. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit that they've seen evidence that day. And in the very next verse, Peter says, this promise is to you, it's to your children, it's to all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will what? Call. Oh, it sounds like he's going to keep calling. And he is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, For God, who has called you into the fellowship of his Son Jesus, and our Lord is faithful. And then a few verses later, and say probably one of the greatest texts of all of the New Testament, Paul's going to say this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, he's the Christ. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. And then lastly, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes this, we got to always thank God for our brothers loved by the Lord because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and to believe the truth. You see, he called you. He called you through this gospel. 
that you might share in the glory of Jesus Christ. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I wanted you to see from his word, don't take mine, that God and him calling us is no little idea. It's not just something that some preacher comes up with in, the, in, in, in his study and says, wow, I think I'll preach on this this week. It's everywhere in Scripture. And you've got the opportunity to answer it. That's why the significance of this message this time. You see, God has a rule that he doesn't coerce people into to loving him. He has a rule. I don't coerce people into saying yes to me. But he does hope we'll answer the call. And here's the question I'm going to start the whole session off with this, really. Have you heard it lately? I've alluded to it a couple of times, but I'm going to ask it point blank. Have you heard his call lately and you've turned off the phone? Since it's football season, I want to hear from my favorite, one of my favorite players in all of NFL right now is uh, Drew Brees. God had a special calling in his life uh, in his teen years. And then he had another significant calling later in his adult years. And instead of me telling you about that, I'd like for you to just listen to it from his lips. Roll tape, guys. Sunday school, um, you enjoy hearing the, the, the Bible stories, and then you go uh, to you know the big the big sermon, the big church, and you sit there, and I'm just you know me and my brother just kind of hit each other, just wondering when it's going to get over. <laughs> the second to last game of the season, third round of the playoffs, um, I was the starting quarterback. Um, I suffered a torn ACL in my knee. It was devastating. Devastating for me. Junior high school too. This is when you're supposed to get recruited and just all of these things. I had to wait to have surgery for a month because they had to let the MCL heal before they repaired the ACL and then I was still on crutches and it was just, I'd hit that point. I had seen friends have that injury and never come back quite the same. So what I thought was just going to be my life, sports, I felt like was being stripped away from me. And I remember sitting in church on my 17th birthday and sitting in that same pew where my brother and I used to just goof around and never pay attention. And for some reason that day, it was different. And I was locked in um, on the pastor as he was sitting there talking about how the Lord was looking for a few good men to carry on his kingdom, to spread his word and to live the life that, that he had planned for them. And that spoke to me. And it was at that moment that I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and knew that there was something that was bigger planned for me than just sports. fifth season, going into an off season in which I did not have a contract, I was going to be a free agent, I get hurt the very last game of the 2005 season with the San Diego Chargers. I've never dislocated anything in my life, but I knew exactly what happened. And I knew too that besides maybe like a broken neck or something, that that is the absolute worst injury that I could ever have asked for for a quarterback. As I'm walking off the field with my shoulder stuck like this because it was dislocated, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm probably never gonna put on a Charger uniform again. And then it hits me that, you know, I might not ever play football again. A few short months later, uh, my wife and I were taking a visit to uh, New Orleans, uh, who was six months post-Katrina, and we're just looking at the, the sheer devastation and just saying, I'm not going to trust what I see with my eyes here because my eyes are telling me not to come here. <laughs> and yet my heart, my soul, the Lord is telling me that this is our calling. Uh, it's not about just coming to play football and be a part of the resurgence of a, a football team or an organization, but it's about the resurrection and rebirth of the city and we can be a part of that. 
and we score, the Colts are driving, we get the interception, we go score, now we're up 14 with three minutes left, and yet you're still thinking, I know Peyton Manning, I know this, this team. In your mind, you're going through all these scenarios of what you're going to have to do still, and then we get the ball back um, to basically take a knee to win the game, and it wasn't until that moment that, all right, we are world champions. As, as people, do we want to see and touch and feel in order for it to be real for us? And yet, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I'll tell you, you'll be led by faith and not my side. You know, so much of life is that. It's, it's faith in God, knowing that He's got a plan, and at times you don't understand it, and you're not going to see it, um, and yet you just have to trust Him. You have to have faith. There's two things about that video I want to call your attention back to, if I can. First one is when he talked about the preacher, preacher's message. I can't imagine some preacher's message where people are playing and not paying attention to what he's saying, but I'm going to try to think about that. But all of a sudden, the rubbing of pushing of elbows and filling out notepapers stopped, and he said, I heard, I locked in on what the preacher was saying. And it brought about a moment in which he was confronted with giving his life to Christ. I want you to hear this from me. No preacher's capable of that. God, through a preacher, is capable, but God did that calling that day. God did that drawing, Jesus says. And he said yes. Now, he talked about a different kind of calling later in his adult life whenever he was trying to make a decision about what team to go with after the Chargers who were letting him go, and he chose to go to New Orleans. Did you hear that phrase in there, that God called me there? That's not something that you can see most of the time. It's not something that, that you can even hear most of the time. But there's this drawing, there's this nudging, there's this push that you know something greater than you is doing the pushing. So let me go on to this next thing, because that's mission, but I want to talk about the second way God calls us before I talk about mission. And the second way God calls us is for transformation. He calls me, first of all, to salvation. And listen to me, if you haven't answered that call, I wouldn't worry about any others because he's going to start there and only there until he gets to some other calls. Then after trans salvation comes transformation, he says, okay, now, now that you're in, I, I want to do some changing. <laughs> this is now my life, Paul says. Remember that? You were bought with a price, therefore you glorify God with that body that is now his. Uh, we're going to read it in a few moments about Romans 1. We put our lives on a sacrifice, on an altar for God to use. This is your life now. Well, that's so that he can transform it. He'll take you right where you're at, but he loves you way too much to leave you there. There's a big Bible word called sanctification. That's what he's going to do. He's going to move you from here to there in spiritual things. He's going to grow you up because that's what a good father does, a good parent does. And he's going to do that in you, and it means change. But I want you to understand something. Before he ever asks you to do something, he's going to ask you to be something. Let me put it in Paul's words. Here's what I want you to do, Paul writes, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and you place that before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Now, don't, don't become so well-adjusted to the culture around you that you fit into it without even thinking. No, instead, you fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. You readily recognize what He wants from you. And you quickly respond to it. You answer that call immediately. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best from you and develops some well-formed maturity in you. Man, I hope you want in on some of that. Because God lovingly and willingly gives it. 
I love that, that he not only calls me to change, but he'll help me do it. Yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, power from God. Thank you, presence of God that's going to be with me till I breathe my last breath. And he's going to do two things, Paul says here. I'm going to help change how you think about me and the world. And then I'm going to help you think about others and yourself differently. But it's going to start here with that inside and work its way out. At the moment, some of you are in the middle of some circumstances, though, that make any of this hard to hear. Some of you have some stuff hanging on to you from the past that make any of what I'm saying hard to hear. God could call this. I'm not even sure I can connect the this in my life now and what I've had in the past with any loving, caring God at all. And I want you to hear, I understand that. I've got some of this in my life and in my past. And it's hard to connect God to any of it. But don't take my word that he would be and could be. Hear his word this morning from Romans 8, 28. It's kind of a flagship verse for any of us who are followers of Christ. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are, what? Called according to his purpose. Now, he didn't say all things are good. They're not. You've been through some hellacious things. Hell loose things into your life on purpose to try to take you down and take you out. Not all things are good, but here's the promise of God Almighty. I'll take those things and I will weave them. I will work them for good. What he meant for harm, I'll work for good, Joseph said. Remember that? And Jesus, the the New Testament Joseph, makes good on that. He makes good on that. If you've been called according to his purpose. Little addendum there. You say, well, Jimmy, what's his purpose? Oh, so glad you asked. Because he says it very, very clearly, and here it is. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. You want to hear what your destiny is? Since you were brought into this world, no matter how you came in, your destiny is to be molded and shaped into the likeness of God's Son. That's what he wants to do with all that stuff. Use it to mold and shape you the way it molded and shaped, hear me, Jesus The scripture says Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Wow, some of you have got a lot of learning that's possible because you've suffered much, and I'm sorry. But so did he. God's going to use it if you'll let him. God's destiny is for you to be set apart just like Jesus. He wants to use your speech in a way Jesus would use his speech. He wants to use the way you handle your money in a way Jesus would handle that money. He wants to use your relationships in a way that, that Jesus could handle that. He wants to use how you see people and treat people of different colors and ethnic backgrounds the way Jesus would do that because he needs Jesus still in his world. And he wants your body to do it through. That's why he's willing to take up residence in you to do it. And if you're blessed, one day you will be called Christian, Christian, someone like Christ, someone I see Christ in, not just as some label, but as someone's identity. Because it matters what you're called for. The L.A. Dodgers just won their first World Series in 32 years. If you're a fan of the Dodgers in baseball, you'd probably remember the name of Oral Hershiser. To some of you, you know, it just sounds like some weird name. Well, it even gets weirder because his real name is Oral Leonard Quentin Hershiser IV. How'd you like to carry that one around in your pocket, all right? Maybe a name, but it's not a name for a scary pitcher. It's not a name for an intimidating pitcher. And, and, I mean, when you've got a frame like Oral's, he was slim and he was wiry. There just wasn't much to him. And he wasn't doing very well when the Dodgers called him up from AAA ball. He was having a terrible outing. And Tommy Lasorda, the then manager, walked up to the mound where Oral was. 
And he grabs him by the shoulders and he said, let me tell you what I see in that uniform. I, I know the audience sees a skinny, scared kid, but I see a fighter. I see a pitcher with some fire in his belly. I see a bulldog. I'm not going to call you Oral Hershiser the fourth anymore. I'm going to call you Bulldog. And he left the mound. Now, Oral says that talk changed his career in that moment. He calls it the Sermon on the Mound. That's his words, not mine. That year, he went on to win the Cy Young Award, which is the highest honor in pitching. He was MVP of the league series that year. In fact, you may have remembered when they were playing the Mets, it's game seven of, of deciding who gets to go into the World Series representing his league. He's pitching against Ron Darling from the Mets. And I wonder when you hear that word, is there any doubt who's going to win? You've got Lasorda in his dugout shouting, get him, Bulldog! And then the other manager shouting, throw strikes, darling! It matters what you're called. And so the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Brother, I need to say that if you're not living up to your name, you may have a call that's waiting. Third call that all of us get, and we're done. I believe you're called to salvation to come to him. I believe that you're called to transformation to be changed by him. And then lastly, to a mission to help rescue others with him. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus has gone up on the mountainside and he calls, we're so used to these stories, he calls 12 men to him and he begins to say, I'm going to, to choose you to pour my life into and then to send you into the world. And we go, yeah, those guys, they were, they were called and they were sent. Well, he expands that a little bit as we read a little bit deeper and those, those, those apostles, those disciples move out. All of a sudden in Acts chapter 13, there's this meeting of the church They've come together, they're worshiping the Lord, they've been fasting, and the Spirit starts moving among them, and they set apart, Luke says, Barnabas and Saul. Now, those guys weren't in the twelve, but he says, I'm setting you apart because I've called you. Luke says, he called them. Now, I want you to notice, somebody else is included in the sense other than just the twelve. But it expands even further, don't take my word for it, when Paul the one who used to be a Christian hater becomes a Christian maker and follower, writes these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me preface this. He writes them to secretaries and retirees and school teachers and coaches and policemen and soldiers and plumbers and movie makers and programmers of his day. Here's what he says. We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anybody united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. Old life is gone. New life begins. And all this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him. And then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. And then God has given us the task. God's called us to a mission of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. Some of you grew up hearing, we're Christ's ambassadors. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ now because we become friends with God who's already been a friend with you. Wow. <laughs> You'd call me to that with, with, with my background, with, what, with the choices I've made? With my history and my family? Yeah, I would. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Sister, let me ask you a question. Why were you set free from legalism? Why did God set you free from sexual immorality, brother? Why did he call you out of addiction, friend? So you could be a bridge to people who need rescuing. So you could be a life preserver to people who need rescuing. So you could be a lifeboat to people who need rescuing. Rescuing, rescuing is why he's called you. That's what Brew Drees was saying. It was no accident that he wound up in New Orleans just after Hurricane Katrina because God called him there, he said, and he answered the call by giving a great deal of his salary to people who never thought anyone would give them anything. By, by helping raise his kids to know this Jesus he had fallen in love with and had been called by. By sharing his testimony any way that he could, any time that he could. You, don't, you won't find a brother who will share as quickly and as often his testimony for how Jesus saved him. He realized early on that playing professional sports was just a vehicle for something bigger. A platform to point the world to Jesus. And I just want to say this, and I hope you hear me well. God's asking you to do the same thing. He's asking you to do the same thing. There's a lot of people in this room who've gotten calls. Problem is you're just not answering. That's how life works, isn't it? Your job's calling. Temptation calls. Hobbies call. Your addiction calls. And you know what never changes? Is you getting to determine which calls get priority. Even Jesus understood this. In Mark chapter 3, the phones were going off. We need to get in and see him. It was his family. And you know what they wanted? They wanted him to quit doing what he was doing and to get back home because he was embarrassing them. They were talking about kicking them out of the temple and the phones just kept going off. Kept going off. And every day he got up, every day, Jesus Christ had to determine who he was going to give priority to and who he was going to not answer. Every day. The question is, will you? The question is, will you? The calls are going to keep coming. Don't be frustrated with the calls. Don't be alarmed at the calls. Don't be surprised by the calls. The calls are going to keep coming. What you need to be alarmed about is that you might miss God's. You might miss his. Now, he'll make it clear enough that you'll know it's him. But if you look at it and you know it's him and you say, not today. And you know what happens tomorrow? It becomes easier to say, not today. And you know what happens tomorrow? It becomes easier to say, not today. So I'm going to end this lesson with this question. You get to decide who, who gets answered and who doesn't. Your life is a lot more than just about paying off some mortgage. It's a lot more than just seeing how long you can put off death. You have a call waiting, friend. Will you answer it's God. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning trying to hear from you. And there are voices and calls and distractions going off all around us. Some we couldn't leave at the, at the doors when we came through. They've been with us the entire, the entire message. And I'm asking some way, somehow, would you, through the power of your spirit, break through all of that noise? And for a moment, if you've brought someone here today to hear this gospel, that your son Jesus didn't count a quality with you something to be held on to, but left heaven and came to this place, put on our skin, lived exactly like us, but all the time representing you. And you, Father, put him on a cross so that our sin debts would be paid and that we would receive his righteousness. <laughs> and you showed us the credentials that you had in doing so because you raised him from the dead. You raised him from the dead. Father, if that, 
If that's something that someone wants to put their trust in today, who's been putting their trust in a lot of other things, and I pray that you, Father, will be heard, that this call will get through, and that you will draw them into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Have them come find me. Have them come find one of the elders. Have them find someone from Arms of Hope that they know is in leadership and say, I want to give my life to this Christ today. I want to to attend my own funeral. I want to be baptized. I I want to receive this spirit Jimmy's been talking about. I, I want this new life now. I don't want to wait another moment. I want another week, another day. Now, Father, help them through the power of your spirit pick up the phone and welcome the call. And Father, if you brought some people here today who are my brothers and sisters and and they've been in Christ for quite some time, and, and they love where their life is. It's nice and settled. It's all predictable. It's, all, it's just like they want it. And they, they've been turning off the call from you to do something that might disrupt that and change that and arrange that and, and cause them to risk and cause them to sacrifice. I'm praying through the power of your spirit that's within them that they hear this call today. Please, Father, take these lessons over the next month and, and draw our hearts to you. Please, we ask us in Jesus' name and everyone said. Let's stand and let's praise him, church.